0: Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. second week of the Unshakables series, and what we're doing is we're looking at what it takes to build an unshakable life on the rock of Jesus. Last week, we read some scripture about how the wise man builds his foundation on a rock instead of the sand, and what that looks like, what that takes, and painting just a vivid picture of what actually happens when we build our foundation, our source for stability in our lives upon sand that can fall out from under us, that is not there to make it through storms, and that we need to dig down to bedrock and build on something solid, and we believe that is Jesus and his word. And so that's what we talked about last week, and this week we're going to talk about the unshakable story. We're going to talk about the story of God. Now, box office prophets remind us that people are hungry for stories, right? Like, people are hungry for stories, They love to hear a good story, and stories that can do more than just entertain, like something with some depth to it. And the cool thing about stories is that they are a powerful vehicle for communication, for education, and for inspiration. Think of the appeal of TED Talks over the last decade and how those have just become such a big thing. They're like, people just want to learn. They want to be inspired. They they communicate values and different paradigms and shifts in paradigm to a large group of people, and oftentimes those are framed through the individual that is sharing that information through their story. Stories are a big deal, and I think it's fair to say that the more we identify with and relate to a story, the easier it is to place ourselves in that story. When we understand and can relate to a story, we can often see ourselves in it, and therefore it helps us to learn something from it, right? If we can see ourselves in it, then we can be like, oh, okay, I can relate to this character or this part of it, and I can learn something from it. Now, of all the different types of stories that are out there, it would be in my opinion that the story of sacrificial love remains one of the most powerfully moving themes in movies and in our culture examples of that titanic that dates me a little bit that was from when i was younger slumdog millionaire armageddon that really dates me frozen sacrificial love and of course not to give any spoiler alerts but top gun maverick sacrificial love (laughs) talk to me goose So my question is, like, why? Like, why does this theme resonate so powerfully with millions of us around the world, transcending culture and language barriers? Why? Because it's more than being just about a good film, right? Like, Top Gun Maverick, good film. But it's not just about the film. There's something in there that draws us in. And the reason is, we are moved by a story of sacrificial love because we are characters in the ultimate story of sacrificial love, and that is the story of God, the story of God and the Bible. It's a redemptive story. It's a story of him from creation through restoration, and it's the story that we find ourselves in. The unshakable life knows its place in the story of God, and that's what we're going to talk about. We know our place in the story of God. The Bible is the story of God, It's a story that's full of subplots and characters, yet the Bible or the story of God can be simplified into four chapters or movements, if you will. You have creation, you have fall, you have redemption, and you have restoration. So we're going to pray and then we're going to dig into this Magnificent story. So, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for each person here. God, I pray that you would open up ears and hearts to receive your word and your hope today. God, I pray against anything that would just try to distract us and keep us from receiving your love, your hope, and receiving our place in your story. We trust you with this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So, this story, this story starts, like I said, with creation. You see, we, when we read the Bible, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we read that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then going on, we learn that God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. The creation is the beginning of this story of God. It says, in the beginning, God. The story of God begins with him as a loving creator of all things. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Humanity is the pinnacle of this work. He created humans and he said, God, this is good. This is good made in his likeness or in his image, created for relationship with God and fellow humanity. This was his creation. This is the start of the story and humans part in it, and God considered it good. You could say that this is a picture of paradise, humanity enjoying unhindered fellowship with God, exercising loving dominion over all God's creation, working to cultivate and steward creation, and the notable absence of evil and suffering at this point. It's like paradise. There's no evil, no suffering. God's creation or fellowship with him, everything is good. And as created beings, we are intended to depend upon our creator for life and meaning in the world. And at the beginning of this narrative, that is what is happening. Humans are created, they're dependent on God, they're in fellowship and harmony, and all is good. But tragically, this view, this vision, this scene of paradise did not last long. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the part of the story that we would call the fall. You see, although Adam and Eve had complete freedom to trust God, they chose to disobey him, violating humanity's relationship with God. Through God's design, Adam represented all humanity, and therefore Adam's sin was a colossal fall as the trespass of one led to the condemnation of all. Romans 5.18 says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. And there's a little spoiler alert built in there. Now, as a result, sin entered the hearts of humanity, making us rebellious towards God to our very core. Now we run and hide from God because of our nature is, is more inclined towards evil than good, towards shame than right relationship, towards darkness where things are easier to hide than towards light where we are, can be vulnerable and exposed because now something else has entered into our hearts and our lives. <clears throat> Sin also created or entered creation as a whole, corrupting all that God created for us to enjoy. We forfeited our harmonious relationship with creation as God cursed all that he entrusted us to steward. Genesis three seventeen through 19 says this, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, And unfortunately, it's because of this condition and how it has infiltrated the hearts of humans that we see things like murder and sex trafficking and the sex trade industry and sexual abuse and emotional and mental and physical abuse and all of these atrocities that we see all around us have entered the world because of this separation from God at the core of humanity as sin infected our hearts and our lives. This is why we see divorce rates so high and why we see an industry that is so grotesque that makes billions of dollars a year in the sex trade. This is why we see abusive relationships in so many homes and kids without homes and loving families to go home to. This is what causes all of this brokenness and desolation that we see all around us. Because humans don't have any ability to save ourselves from this corrupt condition. And we cannot find our way back to God on our own. And now instead of enjoying his holy pleasure, we now face his holy judgment. That's a little different position than we had in the last chapter. Enjoying his holy pleasure and presence and now set up to receive his holy judgment. In short, we are utterly hopeless and helpless in our fallen condition. At this point in the story, we're hopeless we're helpless. Now, I get it that this is dismal, and you're like, man, I'm glad I showed up for this Father's Day message. And it feels a bit hopeless, but we have to see how dark the sin is and how depraved our situation was before we were saved to understand what we're saved from and how good of news that is. Amen. So many times we're like, yeah, life's hard, but Jesus, instead of like, man, yeah, without Jesus, the world, like, it's already messy. Imagine without that. We have to see the depths of the darkness before we can fully comprehend and appreciate the light. God would have been perfectly justified to end the story right there. But too many times we underestimate how good and merciful God is, and the story continues into the next move of this story, and that is redemption. You see, thankfully, God set a plan of redemption into motion. Helpless to find our way back to him, he came to find, save, and deliver us from sin and judgment. And he did this by sending his son, Jesus. Because Jesus lived the life of obedience that we could not live, and he died the death that we should have died for our sin and our guilt. And Jesus turned the wrath and judgment of God away from us and onto himself. And in doing so, Jesus completely satisfied God's holy standard on our behalf and shows God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5:8. While we were sinners, he died for us. Not because we got our stuff straight, not because we earned it, but in the depth of our brokenness and sin. Jesus paid the price for you and for me. And our response to Jesus is to wholeheartedly believe in him. Turn from, or repent is the biblical word, from our sin. That means change direction from what is destroying our relationship with God and each other and heading the other direction. And to put the full weight of our trust in him. To give him our full weight of trust for salvation or to be saved that we're not saying oh yeah Jesus can save this part of my life but i'm going to save these parts with my performance and my earning potential and my job and my amazing social like prowess or whatever it is that you may rely on for success in your life it's not jesus and it's just Jesus. We put the full weight of the hope for our salvation, of faith for us being saved from this condition of sin on him. We don't hedge our bets with our checking account or with how many friends we have. We put it fully in him. Fully in him. John three 16. I'm sure you've heard it. You probably looked it up when you saw it under Tim Tebow's eye back in the day. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave us Jesus so that we would not die because of the condition of sin, but that we would have eternal life in him. He saves us from death and eternal separation and gives us eternal life in him, in his presence Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Could you imagine what church would be like if it was like just a, a resume of how you earned your way to Jesus' favor? Could you imagine the conversations around the coffee at the back? Oh, what did you do to earn Jesus' love this week? Like, wouldn't that just be disgusting? Like, well, you see, I did this and this and this and this. How about you? gotcha. Like, that would be, and this is telling us, no, 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 that's not how this works. It's by your faith, not by your work, so that none of you will boast. Because even though we're saved by faith through grace, God still knows that we have these human tendencies, right? He still knows that, man, but, but there's still a little bit of this in me. And he's saying, no, 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 don't be that way. It's all me. The price has already been paid. You don't have to earn anything, And when we do this in faith, God completely forgives us and restores us to right relationship with him again. When we do this, he restores us to right relationship with him again. And this is God's story of his unfathomable love and pursuit of us. And it's his unfathomable love and pursuit of all of us, not just some of us, but all of us, even the worst of us, even me in the depths of my despair and my brokenness and my relational manipulation or whatever it would be, my waywardness. In the depths of that, Jesus offered me this. He offered me hope so that through him we could find our way back to the God who created us. But that's not all. The story has... fourth chapter, which is restoration. Now this final chapter is still being written. We haven't seen it be completed yet. And if you're itching to know how it turns out, just read the last two chapters of Revelation. It's It's a pretty sweet ending. I'd invite you to do that. But God's plan of redemption and complete restoration he set into motion with Jesus is finally going to be fulfilled. It's not like, oh, I sure hope Jesus wins. I sure hope God wins this whole thing and he does what he says he's going to do. No, like the battle's already won. We're just getting the, the rest of this age figured out until he comes back and completes his work. Like it's done, it's finished. We're just in this awkward time right now. We're waiting for him to come back and complete this work that he has started. He will gloriously wrap up history, restoring all things by creating a new heaven and a new earth for all God's people to dwell with him forever. And that's the way it was always meant to be. He's restoring it to how it was always meant to be. Revelation 21, just the first four verses, says this. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. have passed away. That is the story of God. He creates a perfectly good world for us to enjoy and then man rebels against God bringing serious disharmony between this man-God and creation relationship. Then God enters history in the person of Jesus to make the wrongs right again. And through him, we can look forward to all things being restored as God had originally intended. Now, knowing this story, and better yet, finding yourself as the object of God's amazing grace and his love and mercy in this story cannot be overstated. Like, it's great to know just a quick fly-by view of the story of God and kind of the, the movements of the Bible, but it's important that we, that we know it and we see ourselves in it and we connect to it and we, we understand how that has played out in our lives because this is the story in which I find my story. It's the grand narrative of life helping make sense of the past, Of the present and of the future. This, for the Jesus follower, is the story that we orient our life and our hope around. And when we know this story, when we know our place in the story, and we know our purpose in this story, then we see that this is a story that brings hope to the hopeless. This is a story that brings hope to the hopeless. And when we get that, when we understand it that man this this story is this is great news like for everybody. When we get that then we get to live a life where we are a hope investor. We're a hope investor. You've never heard me say that before. I'm about to preach a little so buckle up. An investor is described as someone who commits capital with the expectation of receiving returns. You see to invest something you first have to have it, right? Like, I can't invest money that I've never had. It doesn't work that way. I have to have it to commit it, to invest it somewhere. And I have to also commit it or be intentional with it. I can't just sit on a little pile of cash and be like, yeah, I want that to grow. I want to receive return for this money, but I'm not being intentional and doing anything with it. And then when I invest, I have expectations of some returns. Now, I know some of you look at your yearly statements these last couple years, and you're like, hey, I thought I was supposed to expect some returns. All that aside, when we invest, we are supposed to expect returns. Now, instead of looking at money, when we are a hope investor, you got to have some hope to be able to inject it into the places and the relationships that you live in your life, right? you got to have it. you got to know your place in the story. you got to be filled with the hope of Jesus so that wherever you go, you can share that. You can overflow it. You can tell people that they also can have hope in the story of Jesus and what he has provided for them. You have to be intentional with it. You have to say, I have this hope. Now, how do I share it with others? How do I communicate how big of a deal this is with the people that God has given me favor and relationship with throughout my days and throughout my week? And then when we share that hope, we don't get insecure about if the person is going to still like us because we expect returns on it. Because Isaiah fifty-five eleven tells us that God's word does not return void. Amen? His word does not return void. You see, when we share the story of God, when we see where we fit in and we see our purpose in the story and we engage the world around us with the good news of the hope that is found in Jesus, we expect a return. We expect a return. Not some transaction that's like, you know, hey God, I did this so I want, I want what's coming to me. Not like that. But you know that God's word does not return void so that when you invest hope into the world around you, you know that hope will grow. You know that as you inject it and invest it wherever God places you throughout any given week, month, or year, that as you bring that there, it will grow. It'll become contagious, and you can expect that because it's God's will for his word. It's his will that this hope would infiltrate the entire world and people would come back to their creator. We know that. That's why Jesus came to make that possible investing hope in the relationships and the places around us to make a difference with the best news that anyone will ever hear. That's what we get to do when we know our place in the story and we know that that gives hope to the hopeless, then we get to invest that good news everywhere we go and we get to expect a return. We know that God is going to do something with that. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Remember, it doesn't say always be prepared to make a defense for your theology. Don't be prepared to make a defense for anyone that has questions about the scriptures or all of your beliefs, like those, are good things to be able to do. But this is encouraging us: always be prepared to make a defense for the reason that hope is in you. Be able to to tell people why do you have hope. Tell them the story of why you have hope, how that hope entered your life and changed your life, and that that hope is in Jesus. Always be prepared to tell your story of why you have hope. In Jesus, always be prepared to invest hope whenever and wherever you have the chance. Amen? Worship team, you can come back up. This is the story that brings healing and restoration to broken families and broken marriages. This is a story that brings freedom from addiction and identity issues. This is a story that's built on the firm foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. This is a story that changes lives and legacies and destinies for generations to come. If this story is this big of a deal, then I implore you to know it, to dig into it, to read in more depths about it, to find yourself in it, to find your identity in it, to find your purpose in it, and then to intentionally walk out the purpose and the mission that God has given you in the context of this story. Remember, that final chapter is still underway. It's not all restored yet. We don't have to look far to see that. But God is using his people, his church, those who know their place in this story to complete that restoration process. And one day Jesus will come back and he will be with us and we will know that that is done, that is complete. But in the meantime, we get to live every day, every day like it's the most important day for our mission, bringing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. There's no throwaway days. there's no like, oh, I got plenty of time. I'll just sit back and I'll wait till you know I'm towards the end of my life and then I'll change things around. I once talked to someone who was on their deathbed and they said, "I wish I wouldn't have waited until my final days, because I pray that people who think that way get a deathbed. Final days in the hospital with family processing through all the things of life and reflecting is not a guarantee, and we have seen that too many times. There is an urgency to helping people know their place in the story, to finding hope, to finding their salvation in Jesus, because tomorrow is never guaranteed. It's never guaranteed, not for me, not for you, not for anybody we know. So to sit back and wait for the right time, we might actually miss the right time because of our insecurities and our fear and our anxiety but God's saying this is your story this story gives you purpose and it gives you hope and I want you to share that to invest that hope everywhere that I place your feet upon this foundation and what God is doing in this particular chapter of his story makes us unshakable in the face of all the uncertainties in life know your place in the story, where we're at in the context of it. That helps us to be built on the rock of Jesus and his word and the story of God. Because it's your story. It's my story. And it's God's story. And it's an unshakable story. So we need to know it to build an unshakable life. Amen. As we close, I just want to pray. I want to pray for all of us, but especially those of us who question our place in this story. Is this story for me? I used to think this story is for me, but I don't really buy that anymore. Or maybe you've never heard that there is this story of God and there's a place for you in it. And it brings you hope and a hope that overflows, funny enough about our announcement earlier, everywhere that you would place your feet. So I wanna just pray that wherever you're at in that spectrum, that God would meet you there today and he would help you take one step closer towards knowing who you are in him and towards being an investor of hope into the lives of others. So God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this amazing message of hope. I thank you for each person here today, God, and their story and how you have been in the midst of it. God, I pray for those who maybe are feeling like they, they don't really see their, their place in that story or that they've strayed from that story right now. God, I pray that you would meet them in that place and that you would reveal yourselves to them in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would help them to have a tangible encounter with you and your Holy Spirit and that any questions that the enemy may be feeding them would be gone in your name and that you would bring them back into right relationship with you. God, I pray for those of us who maybe haven't heard this story before haven't considered that we could be a part of something bigger than ourselves in this way that that the God that created us loves us and went to great extent to make it possible for us to be in relationship with him again. I pray that you would help lead each of those folks closer to you, that they would find their joy and their salvation in you. And for those of us who just are constantly trying to find what that next step is, God, what's just the next step in pursuing you, in owning our part and purpose in this story and living it out in a tangible way. I pray that you would bless that. I pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us clarity. And God, ultimately, that this message of hope would infiltrate our worlds and that you would use us to be a part of it. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and finish in worship.